electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to CNBC's Manifest Space, where I have conversations with key figures and thought leaders of the new space age. I'm your host, Morgan Brennan. My guest today is Peter Beck. He's the founder and CEO of Rocket Lab, a pure space play that provides launch services, builds spacecraft, and even has plans to explore Venus. This is Manifest Space. Peter, thanks so much for taking the time today. It's so great to speak with you. We have so much to cover. Um, I think maybe the first place to start is what is on tap for Rocket Lab in 2022? Oh, thanks, Morgan. Thanks thanks for the opportunity to catch up. Um, so, you know, 2022 for us is, is, is going to be a huge year. Um, you know, we've got, uh, obviously, we've got a bunch of electron launches all lined up, um, ready to go. We'll have our first um, aerial capture with the helicopter of electron, which will be, which will be a big milestone. Then of course we have our neutron program, um, which is which is really ramping, and um, there'll there'll be a, a bunch of new technologies um, that you'll start to see rolling out the door. With that, um, the space systems division, obviously we've been making a lot of acquisitions recently, so um, integrating all of those, and um, and no doubt there'll be more to follow uh, as well. So. You know, every year at Rocket Lab, I kind of at the end of the year, I sit down and go, "Wow, that was a big year." I'm not sure how the next year can be bigger. And then, you know, last year, you know, sat down and reflect. It's like, oh man, you know, we went public, we bought a bunch of companies, and unveiled a new rocket, and all these other things. I thought it's pretty hard to get bigger than that. But um, you know, even just the, the the early stages of 2022, it's looking like it's going to even be a bigger year than last year, which is which is great fun. Yeah. Is there out of any of those different um, projects or initiatives that are underway, is there anything that you're particularly passionate or excited about spending most of your time on? Oh man, I mean, so so neutron consumes a lot of a lot of my bandwidth at the moment um, in getting getting that. But I mean, there's just so many exciting things. Like we've got, we've got our, our mission to the moon for NASA uh, this year, so you know that's a that's a huge project. Um, the Capstone mission. Uh, we have the you know their private mission to um, you know to Venus launching next year. So. Gosh, there's just so so many exciting things going on that it's um, yeah, it's don't don't ask me to pick favorites, but you know there's just a bunch of really cool stuff. Yeah, I mean you and I explore. There's a lot to get to sort of untangle and unpack there, um, and and we'll do it. Mm. We'll do all of that. Um, but I am just curious about Venus because I know it's a personal passion for you. Why Venus? Well, if if you go back as far as you can probably go one of my earliest childhood memories was um, standing outside with my father and him kind of pointing to all of the stars in the sky and, and commenting that you know around those stars there's there's generally planets and there might be somebody looking back at you and that was really you know one of my earliest memories and the thing that really you know galvanized space is something that was was going to be an important part of my life and um, you know at least I've the way I view it is one of the biggest questions as a human species that that we have to answer is, are we the only life in the universe or not? And, you know, statistically and from a probability standpoint, we, we, we I'm surely that there, there's other life than us. But if you want to take a purely clinical scientific view, actually we have no evidence 
currently to prove otherwise that we are the only life in the universe. So the Venus mission is, is really about, you know, looking around the solar system in our own solar system and where, where are the possibilities that there could be some form of, of life. And in, the, in, in Venus's clouds, there's, there's a really sweet zone about 50 kilometers altitude where, um, you know, the environmental kind of considerations are such that there, there could be forms of life. So um, if you've got your own rocket, you've got your own interplanetary spacecraft, it just felt rude not to have a crack. And um, so that's really what that mission is about, is it's a very high-risk, ambitious mission to uh, go to Venus in a private capacity and, um, and, and, and take a look to see if we can, we can find life in the clouds of Venus. Yeah, what is it going to take technologically and financially to do that, to, to conduct this mission? So, I mean, the, the, the good news is that our, our Venus, um, you know, spacecraft is basically the capstone spacecraft that we've built for NASA. So we just build another one of those. Um, now, the, the probe interfaces with the atmosphere, so that's that's a new piece of work. And, you know, we're working with uh, Sarah Sager and, and the original kind of um, you know, Venus phosphine team. And uh, and we have a really, really cool scientific instrument on board. Um, you know, just prim- its primary focus is, is, to, is to search for life. And um, so, you know, it's it's although it's a rocket lab project, there's there's quite a few teams um, that are that are con- contributing on it, and uh, it's you know it's one dedicated electron launch. So, you know, the 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 financial outlay is is significant from a from a kind of a, a company perspective, but it's not not that significant if if you know when you when you add it all up, you know, when you think about what's going to be achieved from it. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. You me- and you mentioned the fact that you know Capstone and and the innovations around Capstone help to contribute to that mission being possible as well. I mean with Capstone, it, it speaks to colonization efforts where the Moon is concerned. I mean obviously we know there's colonization efforts where Mars is concerned. Maybe down the road with mm. some other companies like SpaceX. Um, is there is there that possibility for other planets like a Venus? Like, what's your long term well, no. thoughts on all of this? Yeah, so I mean, and Venus, Venus is, gets kind of a raw deal because um, you know, from a scientific you know standpoint, it's it's an incredibly interesting planet. Like it's it's a very similar size to Earth. Um, if you if you kind of look at what happened to Venus, it's it's like um, Earth gone wrong. So uh, tremendous scientific value, but you know, politically, you can never stand foot on the surface of Venus because you know it's like ninety atmospheres and you know, 500 degrees centigrade. So, you know, you're never going to stand on, no human is going to stand on the surface of Venus, but a human can stand on the surface of Mars. So, you know, this is why, you know, Martian exploration is, is, uh, you know, gets a lot of airtime. But from pure scientific value, I think we have a tremendous amount to learn from Earth's sister being Venus. Hmm. Uh, Well, I'm really excited to see what comes of all of this. And certainly we'll stay in touch and, and cover it as as this mission continues to materialize. In the meantime, you mentioned you've got the Electron rocket, which is a workhorse now for Rocket mm. Lab and has done something like close to two dozen launches. And then you're working on Neutron as well, which is gonna be fully reusable. Um, what's going into that design? And especially what's going into that design as you're also working to make Electron, which is the smaller rocket, reusable too how are they i guess how are those design processes working with each other and um Mm. speaking to each other 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think um, we're in a tremendously fortunate position where we, we've learned all the hard lessons of operating a little rocket um, without the expense of, of of operating a big rocket. So, you know, taking all of the the kind of the, the lessons learned, um, you know, from from Electron, and not just from you know operating a launch vehicle, but also the recovery. I mean, we wouldn't be able to make half the design decisions that we're making with Neutron now if we hadn't re-entered a bunch of electrons through the Earth's atmosphere and really understood what it takes to control them, what the environment looks like, and all those kinds of things. So you know, starting from scratch there would be immensely difficult. So there's a lot of lessons learned, a lot of technologies. You know that just port pretty much directly over in, into into Neutron, and Neutron would be an absolutely daunting program if we hadn't we hadn't done Electron, and I'm sure we would have gone down many many dead ends. But you know, with 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 all of the knowledge and experience, it's it's like I say, I keep reminding the team that we're, we're in such a luxurious and fortunate position to know these things and you know to be able to leverage on those lessons. Yeah, your background is in. Um, among other things. It's in materials. Um, how is that, I guess, shaping the way you're designing Neutron? So, yeah, so, I mean, if, if, you, if you stand back and you look at, if you look at rocket development, um, and, you know, there's, there's no free lunch in a rocket. You, you have to pick the area that's going to hurt. And, um, you know, if you have a heavy structure, then, then propulsion is where it hurts. If you can have a light structure, then it's, it's, like, it's, it's like an inverse of the circle of doom. It's just all goodness. Um, and if you look at what, what is kind of, what's changed in the last 50 years and it, within rockets and, and the way you go about building rockets. And, you know, propulsion hasn't changed much at all, really. I mean, engines were sort of 95 to 97% sea star efficient or that, you know, measure of efficiency of the rocket engine back in the 60s it was demonstrated so you know there's no there's no you know, there's, there's no extra power or extra performance that that's really attainable um, so what you end up doing is you end up pushing up chamber pressures higher and higher and the engine mass goes down and and you know more and more and more exotic cycles to try and extract every last second of, of ISP or performance out of the engine which is which is fine but you end up with with an engine that is is very very highly stressed and if you look at what what's been developed in the last 50 years with respect to materials and really the, the the one of the major most significant advancements in materials in the last i would say 50 years has been composites and, and in particular carbon composites so you know a carbon composite for the same structural you know strength as a say stainless steel or steel even is is like four times the weight four times less weight than than the same in steel and like, you know, at least twice as light as aluminium. So if you look at a rocket and, you know, the majority of the mass of a rocket, the inert mass of the rocket is a structure, then if you can apply those materials, then everything else becomes less stressed. So with respect to Neutron, um, you know, being a composite launch vehicle, uh, we've taken a lot of the pain, a lot of the heat out of things like propulsion and, uh, and, and um, you know, the performance of the vehicle that's, that's actually needed. So very, very rarely in a rocket it does, you know, things go well for you. It's always like a negative engineering compromise. But, you know, the one thing that, that sets you up for success is, is mass. So the lighter you can make things, the, the, the easier it is to do. Will Neutron actually be able to? Are you actually looking to launch Neutron, uh, have a turnaround time that is as little as 24 hours? 
Not, I mean, so this, the, I, I, I made the requirement to the team 24 hours to enforce thinking. So I don't think we actually intend to turn it around in 24 hours. But if you if you enforce that kind of thinking of this has to be turned in 24 hours, then you end up making a whole bunch of, of, of different decisions. So if, if you said, for example, this needs to be launched every week, then you would just land it on a barge. The barge takes three days to arrive at the launch site and you'd have all the operational cost of the barge and whatnot. When you force it to be launched within 24 hours, landing it on a barge is just not an option. So you end up a return to launch site vehicle, which is, you know, has a lot of a lot of financial advantages as well. And then, you know, other things like um, propellant combinations and propellant choices. So liquid oxygen and kerosene is a very common propellant, but the trouble with that is, is you know, with your engines, you end up, you know, coking the engines every time you, you know, you run an engine, you've got to kind of de-scunge engines. Um, so that drove the decision for us to use LOX methane, not because of the extra performance, but actually um, because the engine turnaround time would close within 24 hours. So yeah, although although we don't we don't kind of advertise or expect to be able to turn it around in 24 hours, it was a very important engineering constraint we put on, you know, ourselves um, to, to to really drive out waste in in um, in the whole process of, of launching a rocket. Hmm. You know, more than one analyst, Wall Street analyst, has come out with notes recently comparing Rocket Lab to SpaceX, especially with the development of Neutron and what that's going to mean in terms of targeting uh, launch services and, and that part of the market. I wonder what you make of those comparisons, and I wonder whether you do take a look at or study or watch or, or learn from some of these other companies like a SpaceX. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you would be very silly to not, not learn from the success and faults of others. So, um, so of course, you know, we, we, we look what, what, what others have done and, and, um, and where, you know, where we think things can be improved. But I guess if you look at, like, I don't, I don't want to, to kind of tie us up too much to like, you know, comparing us too much to SpaceX because we, we, we're kind of very, very different in, in many, many respects. And I think that's, that's kind of best summarized by, if you look at, the vehicle design that we for, for Neutron and the vehicle design for Starship or Falcon Nine, they're very different. And um, and you know, so if if you were just trying to be another SpaceX, you'd probably end up with another Starship or another Falcon Nine. But uh, you know, we, we we like to you know you know chart our own course here. And um, of course, launch is just part of the equation. Um, and you know that if you look at Rocket Lab, the launch is fifty percent of the company, and and you know Space Systems is the other fifty percent. And um, if if you think that the space industry is going to be massive, and it, I don't, it doesn't matter which number you prescribe to, whether it's like a Morgan and Stanley one point four trillion, or you know some other banks two trillion, or whatever whatever number you choose. If you if you think that the space industry is going to be big. There's a couple of fundamentals that have to be solved, other than just going and out and building rockets, and um, this is, you know, in part one of the reasons why we we have such a strong space systems division. Because, in order for any of that market to grow, it needs to there needs to be scale within the industry, and if you look at the space industry right now, it's best summarised by, you know. A lot of very niche and boutique kind of shops building small numbers of incredible things, which is great. But you can go to just about any one of those suppliers and say, I want 2,000 of something, 
and you can just see their heads explode in front of your eyes. And like 2,000 of anything in the in any other industry is just like a sample size, but 2,000 of something in the space industry is a massive size. So you know, if you look at the acquisitions we've made and you look at the things we're doing with, with scaling those supply, I mean, it, it, I, I fundamentally believe that there's, there's no way that the space industry is going to reach its full potential unless there's scale there in all of the, 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 the feeding elements. So you know, that's what we're trying to do here is provide that scale. If that scale is there, then the space industry can, can grow and then there'll be plenty of launch and all the rest of it. If you just kind of bury your head in the sand and say, well, someone else will sort out, you know, how do you manufacture an order of magnitude more solar panels or how do you manufacture an order of magnitude more reaction wheels within the industry, then we're going to fail. Like the industry is going to fail. Um, somebody needs to take care of the scale element and, and that's, that, that's equally as important as the launch piece. Mm. I mean, that's such a key point. I'm, I'm looking at Sol Aero Holdings, Planetary Systems, ASI, Aerospace, Sinclair, Interplanetary. I mean, you've been you've been busy buying companies, you know, to scale. And I wonder how that integration process is going, and how quickly you can scale um, manufacturing and some of these different operations as you as you vertically integrate everything. Yeah, and I think that's an it's, that's an important point because you know there's a, there's a set of rules we kind of follow here pretty pretty you know religiously, and you know if you look at all of those companies um, that you mentioned, we've worked with all of them for a long period of time. We know them all super well. We've used their products in in our own systems and in, in, in our customers' systems. Um, so, and they're all best at what they do. So, um, so f- you know, for us, it's not like you know we knock on the door of Doug Sinclair and introduce ourselves uh, as Rocket Lab and we start a relationship. We've had a relationship with Doug for a decade, and we had all of his stuff baselined in all of our photons. So, um, and that, that goes the same with, with, with everybody else. So, you know, these are, these are long relationships. We know the teams, we know the cultures, we know the people. And, um, you know, the, 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 the cultural elements of just building, you know, really beautiful stuff that works um, is, is, all, is all aligned across all of those companies. Now, I mean, you're based, you're from New Zealand, you're based out of New Zealand. And I realize that, you know, some of the launch operations are expanding here in the u.s and by the way what time is it there it must be so early for you so i appreciate i appreciate you (laughs) not at all i i just aligned myself to the to the uh to the the u.s um you know to to pacific time anyway so um, okay you know the whole beck the whole beck family is very early starters oh my gosh that still sounds pretty ambitious to me um but uh given the fact that you are based in, in new zealand some of these companies are based in the u.s the company is Based, I guess technically, in the U.S. as well. I'm. Why did you decide to base the company in the U.S.? Well, I mean, uh, we, we're trying to we're trying to build a, a like a multi generational company, and you've seen you, you know you've seen us um, kind of execute that by by listing on the Nasdaq, and and you know look, New, New Zealand. The only reason we have operations in New Zealand at all um, is because of the Mahia launch site, which gives us the flexibility for Electron to launch as much and as whenever we want. That that's kind of the only reason that we have New Zealand operations. Now, COVID's kind of a little bit unique because um, you know pre COVID, I was in you know, traveling to the U.S. you know basically every four weeks or or less, um, and uh, and you know it was I was pretty much fifty percent U.S. fifty percent 
New Zealand oil, some would argue, was like 40% US, 40% New Zealand, 20% in the sky. But either way, um, you know, it was, it was it, it, no problems. Of course, COVID has, has, um, has, has put a damper on that. However, that, you know, I'll, I'll be back up in the US here in, in, um, in, in the next few months and for, for quite some extended periods of time. So, um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't really feel like I based myself in New Zealand, um, except for the last year or so with COVID. I, I very much feel like, um, you know, I'm, 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 US and New Zealand and all over the show, so. Yeah, you must have some killer status on your airline of choice. Um, has COVID impacted your ability to operate or changed the way you're doing things with the company? Oh, totally, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, like every company, um, you know, New Zealand's COVID response was was pretty dramatic and, you know, the borders are still closed. So for us to bring customers in, you know, we have to get exemptions and, and it's, you know, it's quite a process. But, you know, we, we've, we've, we've managed through um, and, uh, and still, still managed to, you know, to launch. But, you know, this year, uh, you know, COVID is, is, is kind of, it feels like it's, 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 you know, significantly declining with respect to interruptions. So um, yeah, it should be, should be much easier this year. Yeah, it should be good. You know, it's, we're having this conversation and I'm thinking to myself, this, this sounds like somebody who's gone to school to study rocket science. This sounds like somebody who's gone and gotten an MBA at a high-ranking business school based on, you know, the, the model he's laying out to us. And I, I just want to get into the origin story a little bit because I was very surprised to realize that I don't think you did actually finish university. Did you even go to university? And here we are talking about your multi-billion dollar space company. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean... Um well, I mean, best laid plans and all of that. Like the plan was all always to go to university. Um, it's just that you know when I started in New Zealand um, from a very from a very young age, you know, even when I was at school, I was you know, I was building rockets, and um, you know the plan was always you know to go to university. And and the the thing is that um, because there was no university courses, like there's fundamentals, but there's no university courses in, in propulsion or in, in, in aerospace even in New Zealand, the, the, the fastest route for me was to just build it. So I did a, an apprenticeship in tool and die making, which gave me the hand skills to, to build the engines and build the rockets. So, you know, I, I just, just built stuff. And look, um, I think university is important, but university teaches you how to learn. It doesn't actually teach you things uh, it teaches you how to research and how to learn and um, I've, I've never had a problem with that um, if, if there's something I want to learn um, you know there's I, I seem to be able to find the resources and the people and the way to go and learn it so um, so yeah I mean maybe one day I'll I'll go to university for fun but um, at this point um, yeah it's it's uh, it's it's not really it's, it's it's never it's never certainly never held held me back and I think um, I think you know at, at the end of the day uh, the things that we look for people in, in people at Rocket Lab when we hire are people who are smart sharp and motivated um, and we'll hire somebody with a lower grade who has actually done something than someone with with top grades that hasn't actually done anything in their in their private time. Mm. Mm, I see. I think that's. I think that's so cool, and it's really fascinating. So, how did Rocket Lab actually come to be? You founded the company in two thousand six. 
I mean, I, I think back to the early aughts and it was, you know, the deep pocketed billionaires who made their money in, in other industries who were starting to fund companies. And you, 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 came, you came up and, uh, and, created, and created a competitor now. Yeah, I mean, we, we, I, I remember sitting on stage at a space symposium surrounded by billionaires and I made the joke on the stage that I was the only non-billionaire billionaire here that sent something to space. And um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of, yeah, I mean, it's, at, at the end of the day, for me, the, the plan was always to go and, go and do something in space. And, and it really came back to, you know, as I mentioned before, like um, looking up at the stars with my, with my father. And, and that, to me, it was just super obvious that that was, that was going to happen. And the original plan was actually to go to work for NASA or for, for one of the big defense primes or space companies. That was the original plan. And, you know, I, I um, you know, when I was working at a government lab, um, it's kind of the equivalent to a national lab in, in America. I was working for a government lab in New Zealand on advanced composite materials and, and superconductors. And um, I took a month off and went to the US on, on my rocket pilgrimage. And I went and visited all the places that I'd corresponded with, you know, over the years and uh, folks and, and companies. And, and you know, that, you know, I was, Pete was coming to America, look out. And, and I kind of got there and, you know, you talk to the big kind of, um, you know, aerospace primes and they only do what the government tells them what they need to do. Um, there wasn't, you know, back in 2006, SpaceX was, was you know, sort of in, in its beginning. Um, and, you know, the, the, thing, the things that, that I thought were important and that I wanted to do, nobody was doing. And um, so I, I just, I, you know, jumped on the plane and there's nothing like 12 hours of kind of rethinking your 12-hour flight to rethink your life and then landed, quit my job, doodled a logo and started Rocket Lab. And then, you know, between 2006 and 2009, we built this little sounding rocket and we went to space uh, with that sounding rocket in 2009. And then between 2009 and 2013, we kind of set ourselves up as this little advanced technology house and we did work for like Lockheed Martin and uh, North um, and uh, DARPA and a bunch of other, you know, folks doing this, this, this kind of advanced technology. And um, it wasn't really until I jumped on a plane once again and went to Silicon Valley that I would say that the, the, the real journey for Rocket Lab really began. And, um, you know, it's, it's come full circle now because I have tremendous amount to do uh, in the New Zealand venture capital community. But at that time, you know, every New Zealand venture capitalist warned me about going to the States that it was, you know, a, a pool of sharks and I'll be chewed up and spat out. And, you know, boy, what, what, well, that was so wildly wrong. It turned out that the pool of sharks was actually in New Zealand, not, not, in, not in Silicon Valley. And, um, and I arrived in Silicon Valley and gave myself three weeks to come home with a check or be run out of town. And I knew nothing. I knew, like, I just, I just turned up, found, found a signpost that said Sandhill Road, and that was all I knew. And, you know, and I spent the first week going to visit, you know, a whole bunch of company, you know, venture, venture funded companies to try and figure out like, who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Um, how does all this work? Um, because, you know, um, like I say, I just, I knew zero. And um, basically it wasn't until the second week and I only visited three VCs. There was only three VCs that I actually wanted to work with. And if you look at Rocket Lab's cap table and Rocket Lab's history, um, we're super fussy. We're super fussy about the investors. We're super fussy about the people we hire. We're super fussy about the technologies. Like even if you go into the factory floor, 
you see we're super fussy about the tall shadow board like everything everything is just has is, has to be right so you know when, when i when i started looking for, for for investors they had they had to really fit the right kind of mold and in the end you know in the last week um you know i came home with a check from coastal ventures who who led the um who led the a round and um that's that's when really as a company we started to to, to grow and and do good stuff Everything prior to that was just like call it a primary school education, but the moment we raised real money, then that that was that was when we actually started going. Wow, um, did you find that you had to do a lot of educating, or even now, now that you're a publicly traded company with Rocket Lab, that you have to do a lot of educating around the industry and and how the sector sector works? Yeah, def definitely so, definitely so. I mean, you know, the, the pitch to Coastal Ventures, you know, I, I had an electric turbo pump in uh, in a suitcase and a, and a one-tenth scale plan of the entire rocket. So I just, just rolled out this giant um, paper, reams and reams of, of rolled paper of, of, of electron onto the boardroom table and said, look, this is what I'm going to build. Here's the pump, showed a video of it working and said, right, let's go. And um, and you know there, there wasn't that much uh, education required for the guys at Coza because they had invested in Skybox and they'd waited around forever for launch, so they knew that launch was was absolutely critical for small launch was was going to be something that was was needed. But um, you know, tremendous amount of education, uh, I would say, <clears throat> not 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 always just within the industry, but within even like New Zealand. New Zealand had zero space industry. So, you know, we had to create a space agency with the government. We had to create a whole lot of rules and regulations and new laws. Bilateral treaty had to be made between the United States and New Zealand. <clears throat> Excuse me. So with respect to, you know, educating, I think that's that's been a really huge, huge part of the journey. Hmm. I didn't realize all that sort of sprung forth, uh, that policy making sprung forth from really the creation of Rocket Lab. Um, so I am curious what you think about being the CEO and founder of what is now a publicly traded company versus when you're a private. <clears throat> well, I I, th I think it's super fun, actually. Um, you know, super fun because um, we have so many more resources than we had before. Um, and I don't really, you know, I, I've always taken super seriously, um, you know, our obligations to, to our shareholders, whether it be private or public. Um, so, so that bit really hasn't changed. Um, you know, we, 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 we've got, a, I've got a job to do. I know my job very, very clearly. Um, so, so none, none of that is, none of that has really changed, but I, I would say just, you know, it's, it, it's given other people opportunity to, to, you know, come along for the journey. And more importantly, um, I think what we've created here is a company that, um, that, that, that actually, you know, is 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 a generational company <clears throat> you know one one of the things I, I i i wanted to make sure that didn't happen is that it's just an, an another kind of founder-led space company and you have to ask yourself the question like when i die what happens to all of this stuff it needs it and it needs it needs to carry on <clears throat> excuse me so I think that's one of the challenges with with some of the you know some of the other companies is that you know when when the visionary and the and the founder ultimately pops their clogs, what happens to the company? And I wanted to make sure that Rocket Lab was set up to continue well you know well after I'm gone and 
and do the things that are successful and are important. Mm. So what does happen to the company? I mean, and the truth of the matter is you, is you are the visionary driving Rocket Lab. So what is your vision? And then how does that continue to grow in the decades to come? Oh, look, <clears throat> I mean, we, we've got a lot of visionaries here. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm the public facing visionary, but I mean, we've, we've, we've built a team of, of just the most incredible, you know, engineers and, and executives. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, the, the certain things that, that I, I guess I have a, a larger influence over, you know, like design of Neutron and, and, and things like that. But, um, but I'm, I'm very confident in, in the company's future here that, that, um, you know, the, the DNA and the structure is such that um, nobody's going to stop being kind of innovative. Nobody's going to stop being kind of visionary with, with what we want to try and achieve. Mm. Um, just given the fact that it does take a lot of investment, it does take a lot of time um, to create new spacecraft and um, mm. basically innovate around these new 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 initiatives, um, with, you know, thinking way out years into the future, I guess, how do you see not only Rocket Lab, but the broader industry continuing to evolve? Yeah, look, I'm, 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 I'm incredibly bullish on, on where, where I think the industry is going. I mean, you kind of have to be, otherwise you wouldn't wake up in the morning and, and work as hard as you do. Um, but uh, look, I, I've been in, this, in the industry probably, you know, a decade and a half, two decades now. And, and if, if, if I think back, um, you know, even just five years, if you, if, you, if you go back five years and you think about where the industry was five years ago versus where the industry is today, um, it's just like you are witnessing real time the democratization of space. There's no denying it. So, um, you know, so I, th I think you know, the, the industry has a tremendous amount of growth and we're really only discovering what you know what what space can be useful for, and 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 we're also discovering what space cannot be useful for. So I think um, that's that's one of the challenges in in the space market with being so so kind of nascent is 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 really you know um, really understanding you know how and predicting how the market is 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 going to going to grow. And I would say I'm often asked what what's your biggest risk to Rocket Lab, and um, I don't worry about technical execution. The team's awesome. I don't worry about um, you, you know, a, a bunch of any of those kind of um, rocket lab centric execution concerns. The only thing that 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 needs to happen for us to be very successful is the market needs to continue to grow grow at the rate or even grow faster than it than it's growing now. Um, it you know it doesn't need to do unnatural things, but um, certainly you know it, it everything needs to continue in the direction that it's continuing. Mm. So um, I have a couple. But I'm going to call a lightning round here. Um, and before I get into that and we wrap up this discussion, I do want to ask, because you have some really fun names, the way you name your missions, mm -hmm. um, the way you name your spacecraft. Uh, how do you come up with it? Well, I mean, it's such a serious, high-stress business that when we did our first mission, it, and it all stems back to our first mission, we had to name a mission, and we knew the name of that mission was going to appear on Space Force's logs, and when they're tracking it to orbit, there'd be a little blinking name that, that had uh, the name of the, you know, the, the, the mission that they would all be following. And 
so we called called it it's a test because we wanted to make sure that when the rocket was flying and everybody was looking at this this th- these naming conventions that it kind of said what it was it's like it's a test and maybe it comes from an even even a new zealand thing like you'll be driving through new zealand and you'll drive over a creek and it'll go creek one and then you'll go to the next creek and it'll go creek two so it's, it's kind of like that dry humor um, amongst amongst New Zealand, and and we kind of we, we kind of wanted to leverage that and, and have a little bit of fun for such you know what is such a, an incredibly difficult and serious thing. So um, yeah, we, we just continued that on, and and um, uh, you know it's business time was our first commercial mission because hey it's business time, and um, and 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 so on and so forth. So um, you know the, sometimes the names will come from our customers, and sometimes the names um, you know will come from uh, from the staff. But gen- generally, they're all they're all sourced you know off the shop floor. Mm. Well, I appreciate it. I, I keep for years now. I've been threatening to write a book, like or a cheat sheet that's just the acronyms and the abbreviations for all the different space and defense programs and missions um so i appreciate <laughs> oh you'll fail you'll fail you'll fail dismally at that morgan because they, they, they contradict each other and there's there's duplicates and yep no that would be a, a, a futile program <laughs> probably okay so a couple questions for you star trek or yep. star wars Oh, I have to say Star Trek because William Shatner opened opened the the Rocket Lab uh, factory down here in New Zealand. So I have to I, I'd have to say Star Trek purely for that reason. How cool! I did not know that. Okay, and of course he went to space. He went to suborbital space recently. Are you going to go to space? No, I don't think I'd be a good traveler. Um, you know, sometimes you know too much, and um, and it would be. It would be very difficult for me to sit inside a launch vehicle because I'd be, you know, continually computing the safety factor of every single component as I ascend. So I think it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't find it an enjoyable thing. Um, I do fly helicopters, and um, I have to admit that even when I'm flying a helicopter, I take a glance up at the rotor blade every now and again and going, well, you know, there's not that much safety factor in that thing up there, and 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 become quite uneasy. So I think, you know. At some point, when you know too much to 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 enjoy something like that. Wow. Okay. Um, well, are people going to fly on onboard Rocket Lab spacecraft to space at some point? Is that going to happen? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're certainly making um, you know neutron um, you know uh, human capable. Um, so that's been fed right into the initial design and the safety factor of of, of everything. Now, I think astronauts are incredibly brave people and and there's there's no denying that that space flight is 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 risky maybe maybe i'm just a chicken that's probably what it is okay a couple more questions for you best movie about astronauts do you have or space do you have one oh best movie about space i'm one of these horrible people then whenever i watch a space movie i'm i'm picking out all of the technical inaccuracies and 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 sometimes it gets to such a point that i don't enjoy the movie um, so I, I would say, look, it would, it would, it would have to be Star Wars because that's what I grew up with. So, um, so that, that would, that would have to be my all time favorite. Ooh. Okay. Uh, my, my daughter has like opened up to the Star Wars now. So we're revisiting in my house as well. Okay. Here's my final <laughs> question for you then. Um, playlist. Do you have a space playlist or certain songs that you listen to or would listen to? Uh, to get in the mood for a launch. 
a launch. Ah, oh, I, I I take the sensory sensory deprivation approach for a launch because um, you know, by the time the time a launch comes around, um, I think everybody here is just so emotionally invested in in every single launch. Like we really care, um, and uh, so so I I don't listen to music pre-launch. I think if I did, it would have to be something extremely soothing and calming, um, some some piano or something to uh, to take the edge off. Maybe I should try it, but um, but that's if I was to listen to to music prior launch, I think that's what it would need to be. Mm, okay, well. Peter, I appreciate all of the time today. Uh, Wide-ranging conversation. There's so much going on at Rocket Lab. Look forward to tracking all of the progress and revisiting with you at some point in the future. Um, thank you. No, oh, my pleasure. No, it's it's always it's always fun to you know to talk about this stuff. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by searching Manifest Space wherever you get your podcasts, and by following the Squawk on the Street podcast. For more on the space race, be sure to watch Squawk on the Street on CNBC. I'm Morgan Brennan. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.